Welcome to Entheogen. We've just read this article in The Independent uh, discussing the first LSD test on humans in over 40 years, focusing on Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris. Uh, we'll include the links in our show notes here, but we'd like to discuss a couple of angles to this uh, pretty milestone research that's just been done um, for the first time in, in uh, many decades, um, lending some credibility to uh, the use of LSD uh, in medicinal contexts and therapeutic contexts. We want to focus on a few different angles here, um, one being the use of uh, psychedelics, specifically LSD, uh, in the treatment of uh, addictive uh, disorders uh, and other therapeutic uses, Um, the use of LSD along with other modern techniques like uh, using, for example, the fMRI uh, scanner um, to get a little bit more of a sort of objective um, assessment of what's going on when someone is having a psychedelic experience. Uh, and also just uh, considering music paired with LSD as a therapeutic uh, method. So I think, Brad, you mentioned uh, you have some thoughts about um, music with LSD. Well, I have many thoughts about music with LSD. Um, but in, in the context of, of therapy, um, what, I, what I mentioned actually wasn't with LSD. It was with an experience drinking San Pedro, so peyote. Um, and I think the the what this article touches on is the the possibility to think about LSD culturally as something beyond recreational in the way that in other uh, cultures, uh, San Pedro or, or peyote is treated with this formal context and this formal ceremony. But the specific memory I was talking about was um, ha- having drank San Pedro and spent the day at this beautiful mountain house in Cusco, Peru, and and hanging out in these gardens and looking at the clouds and seeing these flowers and just being quite enamored with nature and, and everything that was really around me, there was music playing throughout the day. And, uh, you know, I, I have used LSD recreationally to see concerts, for example, or to go to parties. And I've always enjoyed that, that, uh, that direct connection, it seems to be like whether it's from me to the music or me to the the spirit of the music or me with with the other people appreciating the music. It, it you know, there's something about LSD that that I really really enjoy that that connection. And so it was my first time drinking San Pedro, and the music that we're listening to, it's at times you know it, it sounded a little new agey and you know not not. Not necessarily music I would I would play in the car or, or you know listen to, but it, I, it was sort of therapeutic and, and calming. And one song in particular was uh, this this Hare Krishna chanting song. So it's this this man's voice chanting Hare Krishna, and there's there's call and response within the music. And I was really keyed into it. I was I was you know just otherwise eyes closed or open, looking up into the sky, really, really digging this, this chanting and, and just feeling this music. And at one point, uh, without changing rhythm or, or tone or, or pattern, they began singing the lyrics of Amazing Grace. So instead of Hare Hare Krishna, they just rolled right into singing the verse of Amazing Grace. And after an experience that had been very positive throughout the day, emotionally speaking, um, I, I was instantly transported to, to my grandmother's funeral and having this very familiar context with the lyrics of this song. 
and I was visited with grief and I, and I began to cry and I began to, to, to sort of experience this loss and experience this, this, this grief of losing my grandmother in, in a way that I was absolutely not expecting whatsoever. And it didn't feel bad, you know, it didn't feel, I, I mean, I was crying, it felt like a release, but it wasn't uh, like being brought back to a bad place to the, to, to the point that it made me want to hide from it or go away. It felt very, you know, cathartic, right? It was, it was, it was interesting how the music was this thing that in, in conjunction with the San Pedro gave me this opportunity to, to feel, to truly deeply feel this grief and loss, uh, in a way that, that I didn't, I, you know, I may have at the funeral, but I don't spend a lot of time and energy just revisiting. Um, so that, that's what I was referring to. Um, Brad, I, like as you're, as you're telling that story, which I had never heard before, I'm just, you know, I was just jotting down notes and everything from, uh, the fact that uh, they, they mentioned in the article that the origin or the etymology of the term psychedelic be, being mind revealing. Yeah, yeah, uh, I love that quote. Mind revealing meaning the, being the meaning of the term, and I so it brought me to the beginning of your story where just talking about indigenous cultures where uh, that something like that, like even the naming of of a substance or something back you know back in in that time uh, reveals a certain wisdom about the, the society, and it's something that has kind of been. Uh, probably well, rejected and and also destroyed by the kind of the clash between like European Christianity and and uh, and then you know the indigenous uh, cultures. Uh, in fact, uh, when I was reading Hoffman's book, I remember they specifically talk about how difficult it was to get indigenous people to uh, talk to them about uh, this the type of mushrooms they were looking for and everything because they had been so. Um, so conditioned to hide that part of their culture because it had been so punished hmm. uh, uh, for so long, and they just decided that that was something that was not to be talked about with with Westerners. Uh, yeah, well, the punishment is ongoing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? I mean, all over the culture, it's just it's a Judeo-Christian uh, legacy that, that these substances are something that are not to be uh, toyed with. But it's funny. I was just like, you know, I had so I had these notes written down, and then I. Yeah, as you started talking about music, I drifted into like how how uh, my my yoga teacher uses music exactly like you're talking about for that particular reason to kind of like um, c connect you to things, and then it reminded me of even Steve Jobs' famous uh, LSD trips where he'd like you know park his car and put on like a, a symphony and lie in a field and just like stare at flowers for a few hours. And that sounds uh, amazing. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty impressive. I thought it was cool that he spoke so uh, openly about that in his book. But uh, but just to leap ahead, the, the last part you got to really touched me personally, the, the grief thing, because I've had like two experiences in the last few years, and uh, Joe Joe was there for one of them. Uh, Joe was there for both of them, actually, and you, you were there for one of them. So, And they were both related to having years ago this, uh, this breakup, that, uh, that, you know, that was necessary at the time and everything, but I've only r truly, uh, you know, thought about it in a considerate way two times that I've had one time on with LSD and one time with mushrooms and both times had that extremely cathartic experience that ended in crying and ended in like a deep, deep connection to, 
the residual uh, emotion that's that you're that's carried over somewhere in your subconscious or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I just and tr- and it happened. So the last time it happened, the first time it happened was the famous. Uh, a famous Joe's engagement party, <laughs> which uh, we, were, we were all at, and I had this this moment uh, with uh, with the person in question, and then uh, and then coincidentally, the next time it happened was at Joe's wedding, <laughs> which was also the next time I <laughs> ran into her. So, uh, and we had we had had uh, we'd had uh, a low dose of mushrooms, and I just uh, the night it was the most fantastic night. I had the greatest time uh, the whole thing. And, uh, and like you said, it wasn't a negative experience, but I ended the night by at six o'clock in the morning, hanging out with, uh, with Joe and his wife and he, he and his wife were talking about, uh, I mean, his wife and I were talking about, uh, just kind of the, the whole night in that respect towards, uh, my relationship with this person and everything. And it just about, uh, it, I got, I got so connected to that grief that, uh, I hadn't thought about in so long. It's not part of my conscious life. Yeah, and yeah. it just ended like like just crying and being so absolutely sad, you know. But it was such a cathartic experience; like it felt really good the next day. Yeah, I had just, the, I had the same thing. A couple of my recent trips as well. Um, the mushroom trip that we took before you left to go to the West Coast, and then you know a week later I met you in Burning Man. Um, the the mushroom trip that I had was, uh, you, you know, you, you and and our co-conspirators were kind of like chatting and having a grand old time in the in the woods, and I was like laying on my back, staring up at the trees, and yawning, just yawning and yawning and yawning, these big wide yawns, and uh, the the tears that came along with the yawns were sort of just like there throughout the entire experience, and I wasn't really crying, I wasn't really like having an emotional experience, but I was yawning and crying a lot. And I think that kind of got like the uh, the mechanics of crying like yeah, working yeah. for me Psycho- psychosomatically. <laughs> totally, um, got the so, juices flowing. <laughs> yeah, they got the juices flowing through the through the tear ducts and uh, kind of just like lubricated that whole system. Um, and a week later, of course, you know we we were at Burning Man, and the first couple days there were were really tough for me. Um, and you know, mostly as they should be, as they, right. I mean, yeah, as you might expect, I mean, you're in a harsh environment and, and, uh, you know, you're far from home and all that. And, and I had left my wife behind and I had just shared this, um, amazing summer, amazing, um, you know, sort of like honeymoon engagement, uh, wedding experience. And I was feeling really, just really sad, really missing her just a, a lot. And to the point where I was just sort of like crying a lot and that's not a common thing for me. Um, even less common is like sharing that with somebody crying with someone and, uh, someone in our camp, um, Jenny was just really amazingly kind of just, just, uh, helpful for me just talking to me. And I ended up just sort of crying with her for a little bit. And it was really surprising for me to be able to like access that. Um, yeah. and I, I really, I immediately just like realized that that was thanks to the psychedelic experience that I had that I was able to, you know, access those emotions and share that with someone and go through the catharsis associated with it and, and come through and, and be, you know, and have like a great experience on the other side of it. So I was really thankful for that. Both of the things you guys said, um, you know, maybe they're related touches on another line in this article that I really liked about, uh, how these experiences can give memories context. You know, it's it, we we experience we have such rich experiences, and when you know when on LSD or on some other you know medicinal plant, um, and and being visited by memories or recalling certain memories, 
and the ability to give them context, you know, the, the ability vivid, to... Very vivid context. It's, extremely vivid context. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I was just going to say that I kind of had this, like, you know, one of these, like, weird rebellious thoughts you have, like, dancing around your head for years. And one of them has always been that uh, I think psychedelics or maybe even uh, MDMA, which we've also spoken about, like, how... how just for like men in our culture, uh, in kind of the the way we're like instructed to be and everything, it's kind of like allows us to get some kind of access to like a feminine side, hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, like for your sure. emotional side. So I've always had this kind of like mischievous idea of like it'd be really fun to like dose my dad <laughs> <laughs> without just knowing about it you know what oh, I mean? man. Just, yeah, i would never do that it goes against all of my uh you know, my principles but i just think there, there are like quite a few dudes you know basically like anybody who owns you know uh like a, a car with tinted windows or uh you know, there's, a, there's a whole list of guys <laughs> that you could just would good benefit from one of those like surprise doses Bros. yesterday we were at we yesterday we had a pretty cool uh, party in in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Um, you guys, you guys would have loved it. it. It was this dance party where they on the dance floor they had rules, and the rules were basically no cell phones. Like the security was scanning the crowd when otherwise might be looking for people trying to like do drugs or smoke or whatever. It's they were busting people for having their phones out and texting on the dance floor and taking pictures of each other. It was a really unique experience. But you know, we we uh, while there. You know, dipped our finger into the bag, so to speak, a couple times with uh, with some MDMA, and we're all sort of having this fun, you know, collective shared experience. And later in the night, Curtis is saying how there's nothing more cute than seeing two like gay bears in embrace, like two large men. You know, he was in line for the bathroom and and seeing these two like very ripped, you know, this gay couple just sort of like whispering to each other like. Hey, have you have you have you been drinking enough water? Okay, good. You know, good. <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing, you know, the juxtaposition of what they look like, you know, and and you know their ability to. And they probably weren't on MDMA. It's just they're just being themselves. But even the way that Curtis they sort of saw gay. through <laughs> Curtis saw through this lens, and he just he had to share. He had to just comment on how touching this was to oh, see absolutely. these large like hulking the- men. Turn, turns the the testosterone down and the estrogen up. I think is kind of the way it goes, right? Maybe into, into a bit more of a balanced state. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I could talk a ton about music and and LSD and you know. Uh, um, however, trying to be conscious of of the time that we have that we have um, the other two topics about using modern tools. Um, that's actually where that that quote came from the giving memories context um came from this part of the article where in these these uh, early tests using fmri so using modern technology to collect information and to understand this this experience uh in a, in a objective scientific way it was in that part of the article that it said <clears throat> that Blobs of color indicate changes in blood flow, you know, from which can be inferred changes in the level of activity in specific brain region, notably in this case, the hippocampus, which is involved, among other things, in making memories and giving them context. And so it's, it's pretty remarkable what this guy, Carhart Harris, is. To me, it's very remarkable, the, 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 the modern application uh, of these resources to 
to just kind of say things that I think we, we may feel experientially like, yeah, you know, and then you kind of read this article and it, it, it connects in a, in this intellectual or more, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, uh, yeah, well, it gives credence to some of the, you know, anecdotal experiences that people have or report on, you know, the last time this, these studies were done or these, uh, you know, tests or experiments were done in the sixties, um, people may have reported that, you know, well, Hey, geez, my memories seem more vivid and, um, it seems like I can, you know, access memories more easily and, and they're, you know, and I, I can really experience things that maybe I had suppressed before and maybe I can deal with them and, and that kind of thing. And, and now, you know, we have the tools to actually test what's going on in the brain, which areas are lighting up and which areas are being accessed. And we can say, yeah, actually the part that deals with memories is, is being accessed at that time. Yeah. Well, it also makes you think, uh, that, you know, how could they possibly, without those tools, do any kind of uh, decent decent research? Like, I mean, especially, I mean, this we're talking about 40 years ago is the last time uh, this was done. And it just, uh, something Joe and I talked about before the podcast was um, just about how uh, one of the things that we know is that dosages were so much higher in the, in the 60s. Like the, the average street dose was two or two and a half times uh, what it is now. So you can imagine how uh, a substance like LSD gets a bad name when people, like tons of people are taking it recreationally, taking massive doses and, and not taking it in pro- the proper setting and for the, for, with the proper precautions. And, uh, and then on top of it, you know, you're using that type of uh, anecdotal evidence to construct an argument to make something illegal or to uh, downplay the importance of it uh, medicinally. Yeah, it was a new tool back then. I mean, it was it was brand new in the '60s. It was just being discovered and and be, you know it was just beginning to be used therapeutically. And they were sort of like figuring it out as they went along. And then it was uh, the the research was discontinued, you know, artificially. I mean, they just put a stop to it, and basically it was suspended for you know for many decades. And I feel like we there's a really big loss, you know, um, that we, thanks to that. I mean, just I, I, the comparison was made, Brad. You brought this uh, quote to the to the surface here. Um, what was the quote about the um, comparing it to like the telescope and the microscope? Well, yeah, it, the quote itself was, I think it's the worst censorship of research since the Catholic Church banned the telescope. <laughs> yeah, I, which I, sounds I, so absurd, so accurate. <laughs> I mean, it can't, which, it it's it's worth mentioning too that it was uh, Stanislav Grof who said that, who was the biggest uh, I mean, in the mid seventies uh, psychiatrist who had done tons of uh, LSD research, and he was very very well uh, oriented with the substance and its effects. And a, that's a great quote. But I think earlier in the in the article, in the same paragraph, he says that. Uh, he said he predicted that psychedelics used responsibly and with proper caution would be for psychiatry what the microscope is for biology or the telescope for astronomy. Right. That that's a quote that'll leave you with your mouth hanging open. <laughs> yeah, and Kevin, you mentioned before that this the professor Nutt, this this uh, this is a guy that you've read about and you've seen, you know, over the years in all these different contexts of you know, advancing the knowledge and advancing the awareness of this. And if through reading this article, there's a point where he just sort of casually mentions how, uh, you know, Robin, like his pupil or this guy who works for him is doing all the heavy lifting. So it's kind of cool to see 
get the perspective of like the man behind the curtain. You know, this is this the article's focusing on this Carhartt Harris guy who's been doing all this research and and apparently, you know, from your perspective, it's it's been Professor Nutt who's who's out there who's whose name is associated with all this great research. Yeah, absolutely, and and it just uh, I don't know. It goes to show you that in in any time in in history, right? There seems to be a group of uh, more enlightened scientists doing doing work that is either illegal or very highly frowned upon, and uh, and who kind of always keep an open mind about uh, no matter what uh, you know what what uh, maybe maybe the the current thinking is about something that like anything ha- possibly has value. And that it's better to learn more about something than to just uh, ban it and not talk about it. Yeah. The Galileo of our time. Absolutely, yeah. The Galileo of psychedelics, right? Yeah. There's, there's another part within the same section uh, of the article where it, it talks – it's sort of opening – like in – Asking the question, like, why were they banned? You know, what were what was the reason that there was this reaction? You know, when it's when it's not harmful in, in a physical way, and, and what are the harms socially, or what are that what like? Why? You know, why did all this research get lost? And I like the this this quote here: "Psychedelics are scary because they reveal the mind, and people are scared of their own minds. They're scared of the human condition, really. And you know, that could be." That sounds a little pessimistic, I think, <laughs> but you know, it's it's not necessarily inaccurate. And it reminds me of uh, a great one of my favorite scenes in in uh, in Easy Rider, the the Dustin Hoffman Fonda Jack Nicholson film. You know, it's very much capturing this this point in time in the '60s, um, and and so have you guys seen it? Yeah, I have no. uh, long, long time ago though. So it's you know the two guys are riding their motorcycles from L.A. on their way to to New Orleans from Mardi Gras, and they're they just look you know alternative leather motorcycles, long hair. They just look like hippies in the '60s, and they're cruising their bikes through Middle America, and not surprisingly met with a lot of uh, uh, resistance. You know, overt, sometimes violent uh, resistance. And there's this great scene where. Jack Nicholson um, uh, explains to them why people are afraid of them. And his explanation is simply that they represent freedom and people are afraid to be free. And when they come across people like this, it's, it's, it's terrifying and, it, and it, it, it's terrible, but it, 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 it's this reaction of, I need to quell that. I need to stomp that out. I need to not feel threatened by this or, or whatever it is. That is a, that's a great uh, reference, and I think in the article he talks about the uh, – he says one of the things that uh, LSD does or psychedelics do is that they uh, interrupt reinforced patterns of brain activity, and he compares it to uh, the metaphor of shaking up a snow globe. Yeah, that was a great image. I, yeah, well, I was thinking of the image. I was like, that's a, that's a really cool image, and it reminded me actually of uh, – I'd been to a couple of these uh, Feldenkrais method workshops, which is a which it really helped me. It, it solved a, like a physical problem, a pain I was having for years. And I, after two or three workshops, solved it. And, uh, and basically, it's a series of exercises. And, and the, the teacher for that, who was really, really knowledgeable about the human body, uh, said exactly the same thing. That the, the activities are designed kind of like to just shake up your, uh, shake up your brain activity and let everything settle in a, in a, in a new way, with, uh, in, in a more informed way. 
so as as I was reading the the snow globe comparison, I was I was uh, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, from from someone who likes psychedelics or who's interested, in that, that's that's a very appealing uh, process, right? You think about shaking up the snow globe, and you're like, great, let's go shake up the snow globe right now. You know? But <laughs> but uh, but for a lot of people, I can imagine shaking up the snow globe is a, a very frightening thing. I mean, you if you have a very defined uh, system of beliefs. Uh, it could be a terrifying thing. And I think that probably explains, uh, apart from the, the dosage uh, situation we talked about before, but it probably explains a lot of the negativity around LSD at that time. I mean, if you had, uh, you know, it's hard to be as patriotic, as religious, as uh, many things uh, as you were before uh, after having an experience like this. Right. And the, the shaking the snow globe reference came, I think that was the third major topic in the article we wanted to touch on is, is how its use with uh, addiction treatment and, mm-hmm. and to, to treat depression and addiction. And the part right before that snow globe uh, comment was depression, depression and addictions rest on reinforced patterns of brain activity and a psychedelic will introduce a relative chaos. Right on. Yeah, I, I definitely had the experience of shaking up my snow globe um, a couple of times. Um, <laughs> the uh, Kevin will remember the um, the New Year's just, trip. Just don't just don't do that in public, man. Yeah. That's Oh man, yeah. This was um, this was the same the same night that uh, we arrived at a party, uh, trying to kind of hold it together. You know, like we were the only ones that were having this uh, this uh, LSD experience, and we arrived at a New Year's party. Everybody else was kind of just you know drinking as usual. It was it was pretty. It was a pretty brave uh, adventure. Yeah, it <laughs> was. It was. And, and I just remember arriving in the, in the room and and seeing like a guy in a suit and like really well dressed people and just thinking like this is like not my scene right here. And so we basically like climbed the, uh, the stairs to the loft and, and spent most of the evening in the loft, um, having our own little experience with people coming and going. And, and w- the first time we ventured downstairs, um, Kevin went over to have a little snack and, uh, it, he thought it was like reaching into a bowl of nuts and it was actually like a bean, uh, salad of some sort. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I was pretty confused. Right, right until that point. <laughs> We were, we're, we're like really playing it cool. You know, we we're just like kind of hanging out. <laughs> and, and it, was, he, it was dark. It was dark in the kitchen. It was, it was a little dark, but everybody else knew it was beans, you know. And uh, <laughs> That's because they hadn't had their snow globes shaken yet. That's right. We had, we had, we had definitely shook up our snow globes by that point. Um, but uh, when I, I remember getting home um, later that night and uh, still feeling the effects and just kind of enjoying the, the afterglow, and doing some yoga in in my loft and getting into some kind of a crazy backbend where I felt like like I'm all bent out of shape here. This is pretty cool. I had this realization in that moment that like right now I'm quitting smoking. Like, like mm. this is like right now. Um, you know, like if I like I have to decide right now to do it if because I can like right now decide that. And if I don't decide that right now you know, maybe I'll quit in the future at some point, but it, it won't, it, it won't be as effective as if I did it right now. Um, and I don't know if that was the power of suggestion because I've read the studies about, you know, how it's, it, LSD can be beneficial when you're trying to break an addiction. Um, it can be effective, but, uh, it, I mean, it worked. I mean, I did it for at least for several months. <laughs> it was uh, nicotine free, you know, which is kind of tough to do. Um, and, 
I, it didn't stick forever. I mean, it was, it was definitely just, it lasted a few months and I eventually went back to smoking electronic cigarettes. Um, and the time that I quit most recently was the mushroom trip that I mentioned. And again, it was a situation where I realized like, this is, this is it, you know, I can do this right now. I have this sort of extra ability. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's the breaking down of like, um, those patterns, those behavioral right. patterns and right. just, you know, the same old sort of like, um, you know, the getting stuck in a groove kind of thing. Um, you know, you yeah. get all shaken up and then you can, you can reassemble the way you want. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think more than just behavioral patterns, what this article is suggesting is it's your brain chemistry, your brain activity, those synapses that exist, you know, in addition to just the, the patterns of behavior, it's the, 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 the pattern of your, your, the way your brain works. Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading about, um, I forget if it was uh, uh, Terrence McKenna or Timothy Leary back in the day. I think it was McKenna talking about like the process of ego, ego death on like a high LSD trip, high dose LSD trip where, you know, you just basically shatter apart your ego. And um, we've talked about it in the past, but, you know, after shattering the ego apart, you kind of have that opportunity to like reassemble things in a more, um, you know, uh, in a more beneficial way, in a more, you know, purposeful Deliberate. Way. Yeah, deliberate. deliberate. Exactly. Well, also, it's like it's like a massive. Uh, I feel like your your values get like shuffled, right? It's like you you take on a new value system. And uh, Joe, when you were telling that story about uh, New Year's, it made me think of uh, a, a trip we had on the beach uh, years ago, probably ten years ago. And uh, for me, it was like a, a, a life changing thing. I don't think I've ever talked about it either. But I just remember uh, we we had spent a whole night out on the beach. Uh, Miko was there. And uh, there was a moment the sun came up in the morning and we were walking across the beach and I just started to like run full speed for no reason. Yeah. I, I just felt that. like running and I just like ran as hard and as fast as I could for a really long time until I, my legs and lungs just gave out and I uh, kind of fell to my hands and knees and uh, I was just like watching the tide go in and out uh, as I was struggling so hard to breathe. And, uh, and I had this, you know, obvious connection with the, the, t the ebb and flow of the tide with my own breathing. Hmm. Uh, and, and, but also I just all of a sudden had this tremendous respect for like the evolution of the human body and how incredible the, all the machinery that we have is, uh, that I was able to get like that type of a run out of my body and that my body, how hard it was fighting to recover. Uh, and it was for me, it was something that, um, as I was growing up and I just, I'd always like battled with, uh, just being overweight and like having to try to figure that out, but not having good information at home. And then having all this, like, uh, it was so related to like my emotional state and how hard it was growing up in my, in my house and just all that. And so like anytime I ever tried to solve the problem, it was always like within the confines of that belief system. And that day, all of a sudden it was like, I, I connected kind of like to the to the human condition, like the universal universality of it all, and was like it wasn't about not doing something for those reasons. It was about like respecting the machinery. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it, was, it was a major paradigm change in like my thinking about the whole thing. That's kind of a form of addiction in and of itself. The, that lifestyle of you know your relationship with food and your relationship with your own health. You know, to me, it is it is so obvious. It is so clear as a bell obvious that that LSD and can or other psilocybin or other psychedelics 
that there's an opportunity to treat people, to t- treat depression, to tr- treat addiction, like things that are very serious, pervasive uh, illnesses that, that it's kind of a first world thing, but that we've been facing. And that, that in ayahuasca is, is used for that. You know, San Pedro is used for that in a more formal context. There are entire clinics in Peru, uh, in Iquitos, that people go down there for the sole reason to drink ayahuasca to address their heroin addiction or their alcoholism or these these patterns of of negative loops of thinking and 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 behavior that are ruining their lives and they're taking this chance because they can't do it in the states you know they can't do it in in europe they can't do it in in their home and so um they they exist it's happening now and it just seems crazy to me that that there's not more uh, opportunity to to do this closer to home or to to yeah. treat people in this way. Well, also you, you you bring up the you know something which is also kind of like a a big theme in the article, which is uh, the legality and and just the the laws concerning the substances. I mean, it's it's funny because I feel like if you if you read the article to or if you had just a normal person read the article, you, they might think like, oh yeah, well of course those things are illegal. And it's like you start, you're reading this article with maybe the the perspective of having experienced uh, the, these substances before, and you think like it's it's so frustrating that something like this would be illegal, what, like LSD, for example, which has you know to date not caused a single death in history, uh, but yet you know a whole host of pharmaceuticals that are just horrible for you in every sense are are completely legal and this just has a stigma that is carried over for you know 50 something years now and uh, uh apart from the public not being able to uh use them for whatever purpose it's it's like it's impossible to do research it's it's so uh it's just staggering. It's like that they, they can't even do research. It's so difficult to get permission to do research. Yeah, the the research is not specifically banned, but it's essentially you know effectively impossible because you know manufacturing the substance, you have to have special you know uh, authorization to do that, uh, to administer it to to humans, you have to have special authorization. And in the case of LSD, it's com- it's just particularly ridiculous. I mean, not to mention marijuana. We won't even touch on that, but. Um, Schedule one means, according to the U.S. Controlled Substances Act, um, number one, the drug or other substance has a high potential for abuse. LSD, does it fit that? I don't think so. Um, Number two, the drug or other substance has no currently accepted medical use in treatment in the United States. No currently accepted medical use. Okay, fine. We don't accept it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically denying like, you know, years of research and and so on. And then there's a lack of accepted safety for use of the drug or other substance under, under medical supervision. Which is actually one of the reasons they touched on in this article that this the the um the subject of the article dis, um wants to use LSD because essentially it's really safe. <laughs> I mean it's a you know, you can't yeah. overdose on it really. Exactly. And that that's also something I feel like the uh and this is probably something we could uh do an entire show about, but it's uh the <laughs> the uh just the the, the fantastic uh, lies that are out there about LSD and and uh, what it, what it does to you or what it can do to you and just the, like the completely ridiculous stories. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great topic. Yeah. That's a fantastic topic, but I mean, it's like you you know if you get down to the to the truth of it, I mean, there's not a not a single person has ever died from LSD. You can't overdose. 
so where where do you find the basis for banning a substance on on those grounds? You know, and then uh, I'm sorry, but I've never met an LSD addict. <laughs> <laughs> if there were an LSD addict, I might consider myself one. Yeah, you're the closest <laughs> one I know. <laughs> 